Pete Carroll turned in one of the best coaching performances of his long, illustrious career, taking the Seahawks to the playoffs in 2022, and yet he's not a finalist for the NFL's Coach of the Year. What gives? Dallas Cooper and I are going to be diving in on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your lead host for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for our Thursday episode, my co-host Dallas Cooper. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're next to Cliff Kingsbury in Thailand or you're hanging out in nearby Renton. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Jam-packed episode coming your way. We like to take a macro approach to kick off the offseason. So we're going to be looking at Seattle's current offensive depth chart, which positions stand out as strengths and which positions are areas of concern. And, of course, we're going to share some thoughts on what the Seahawks might do this offseason to try to address those concerns. Going to be a loaded episode coming your way, courtesy of Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's PrizePicks.com promo code Locked On. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Pete Carroll has made the playoffs now in 10 of his 13 seasons as head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He has one of the best resumes for a coach in football history. One of the few coaches that's won a college football championship as well as a Super Bowl. But one thing that he does not have on his resume, and this is shocking with the success that he has had in Seattle, he has never been the NFL coach of the year. And unfortunately, he's not going to have a chance to be the coach of the year in 2022 either. And Dallas, you look at the five finalists that they named, Pete Carroll being omitted. There's already been plenty of discussion about him being snubbed off that list. I don't think this is us being homers covering a Locked on Seahawks podcast. But when you look at what Pete Carroll did this season, I think this is the most impressive coaching job that he has done at any level, whether he was at USC when he was coaching as a coordinator his head coaching in New England with the New York Jets. I think this is the most impressive coaching job that he has done. When you consider how many rookies he played, no Russell Wilson, no Bobby Wagner, and yet they still made the playoffs. Nobody outside of the building thought that that was going to happen this year. I guess I'm just surprised that Pete Carroll's not a finalist. I didn't expect he was going to win the award. There's a few other candidates I think are certainly worthy, but I am shocked he was not one of those final five. Absolutely shocking to me. What were people thinking before the season? I think people need to remember what the outlook on the team was. When Russell was immediately traded, not many people believed that Geno Smith would even win the starting job over Drew Locke. Then Pete had made sure that he got Geno Smith ready and he made sure, called him the starter and rode with him as his QB one, prepared the team, as you said, played the most rookies in the NFL in terms of snaps and yet they were still making the playoffs. How, how was he not even a finalist for coach of the year before the season? People were projecting this team to be a potential number one overall pick candidate. 
Like people were projecting them to win like two, three games. Their preseason outlook and betting odds was like five and a half. He yeah. took them to the playoffs. That's insane. Pete Carroll is absolutely snubbed from this year. There's no reason he shouldn't be on here. And there's a couple of people on the list I think he should be above. Yeah, looking at this list real quick, Dallas, Brian Dable, Doug Peterson, Kyle Shanahan, Nick Sirianni, and Sean McDermott are the five finalists. And there are several of these guys that you can't make arguments against. Brian Dable, to me, Brian Dable is the winner of this award. And I know there's disputes out there because, and I've seen some other beat reporters that cover the Seahawks that have argued, why not give Andy Reid the coach of the year? Look what he did. They got rid of Tyreek Hill and they still won a bunch of games. They have a chance to get back to the Super Bowl. Okay, I get that. You want to award coaches for persistent excellence, and Andy Reid would fit that bill. But I still think this award is about which coach gets the most out of the talent that they have. And Brian Dable took a team quarterback by Daniel Jones that hadn't been to the playoffs since, I believe, 2016, and he turned them into a playoff team. That, to me, was as impressive of a coaching job as anybody in the league. And you look at the other candidates here. Doug Peterson, the Jaguars went from number one pick the last two years to pushing the Kansas City Chiefs on the brink last week in the divisional round. That's one hell of a coaching job. Kyle Shanahan with a third-string quarterback, I get it. He deserves some love, but that is a loaded roster. So I'm not necessarily sure that I would have Kyle Shanahan on this list. Nick Sirianni, the Eagles had very high expectations this year after making the playoffs last season. And then the other one, Doug McDermott, or Sean McDermott, you know, you look at what Buffalo has done the last four years. They've been to the playoffs every single season. They were a Super Bowl favorite this year. Everything they had to deal with, with Hamlin's injury and all that other stuff, I get it. All these candidates make sense to be on here, but those last couple I mentioned did not do what Pete Carroll did without Russell Wilson, without Bobby Wagner, starting a boatload of rookies from day one. And this is a team like Quandre Diggs said on social media yesterday. He was getting a flag for re-signing with the Seahawks. And his reason he did it was because Pete Carroll told him, we are not rebuilding. And that was enough for him to re-sign with the team. And what do they do? They go out and they win nine games. Again, I think it was one of the most impressive coaching jobs that Pete Carroll did. And you look at some of the other candidates, it's not taking anything away from them. But Kyle Shanahan has a roster loaded with top five picks and all-pro talent. The Seahawks didn't have a single player voted to the all-pro team. That tells you what the rest of the world thinks about Seattle's roster, at least the people that make those decisions. And for Pete Carroll to take that team to the playoffs when they don't have that marquee talent, at least according to the voters, that just makes it all the more impressive. The other five candidates on here, I mean, you could make that argument for Doug Peterson and Brian Dable. They don't have that star power on their roster either. But Kyle Shanahan's got multiple All-Pros on his roster. Nick Sirianni has multiple All-Pros on his roster. McDermott has multiple All-Pro talents on his roster. So I just think, again, we can sit here and talk snubs when we're looking at All-Pros. We can look at other awards. But the fact that Pete Carroll's not on this finalist list, to me, this is one that's actually worth getting up in arms about a little bit. It's crazy. Like, as you said, those teams have elite talent at multiple levels on both sides of the ball, all pro talents, blue chip talents. The Seahawks, as Pete Carroll said in the end of season interviews, the Seahawks are in need of those blue chip talent players. And yet they were in the playoffs right with them after being, as I said, projected to be in the odds for number one overall pay before the season. 
like like you said, no Russell Wilson, no Bobby Wagner. That's two Seattle legends who are in the most successful era of Seahawks dynasty gone. And this team was brought to the playoffs by Coach Carroll. This is his impressive job. This is his this was his like season that he told the NFL, I'm still here. I'm not too old for this game. I'm still here. And he's still gonna battle back for them. It's an absolute travesty that he wasn't in the coach of the year candidacy. Yeah, like I said, I wouldn't be upset if he didn't win the award, but I just think looking at the fact that he isn't even a finalist. And again, I mentioned Quadre Diggs' tweet. I'm just going to put a couple of them up here for our viewers, but this is just a two of several others. But Geno Smith with the Coach of the Year candidates posted, Peter Clay Carroll. He made sure to include the middle name. And then Quadre Diggs, I don't understand how Pete isn't a finalist. Not a top five coaching job with a team everybody expected to be sorry. Y'all killed me last year when I said Pete told me we're not rebuilding. We're trying to win now once I resign. So the support, you can tell how much these players love Pete Carroll. Obviously, he's known as a player's coach for a reason, but – he did a hell of a job this year. And so I think there's a lot of people I've seen plenty of other analysts out there that have pointed out like this is this is a travesty, as you mentioned. I think that's a perfect word to sum it up that Pete Carroll did not at least get the recognition to be a finalist for this award. Kudos to Ken Walker the third and Tariq Woolen and Geno Smith for being finalists, but this should have been number four. There's no question about it. Pete Carroll not getting the respect that he deserves with the most impressive coaching job that he has done to date and building the foundation for a team that has a chance very dangerous going into 2020 and beyond. Coming up next, speaking of the Seahawks roster, we're going to take a little bit of a roster reset. We're going to look at the offensive depth chart and where things stand currently for the Seahawks, which players are heading to free agency, contract status, which areas are areas of strength, which areas need to be addressed heading into 2023, and later in the show, we'll dish out our thoughts on which players will be back and which players might be added to the fold in free agency in the draft. Just a in-general look at the Seahawks on offense. We'll be breaking that all down coming up next year on our Thursday episode of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here, and we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. That's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers can join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. You can be like me looking at this championship weekend after beating the Bills. I'm really liking the Cincinnati Bengals at plus 1.5 to pull off the upset at Arrowhead Stadium. You can make that bet as well on the app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined today by Dallas Cooper, who will be joining us for all of our Thursday episodes this offseason. Glad to have him joining full-time here with the Locked On Seahawks family. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen 
five days a week. For your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get the daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories, in-depth analysis on the biggest games, and local insiders on Monday covering the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked On NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. We're now officially in off-season mode. The Seahawks coming off of a surprising 9-8 season that culminated with a playoff berth. Unfortunately, it was a short-lived one with the 49ers knocking them out in the wildcard round. But there's a lot of reasons for optimism with this football team. And I think we have got to start that optimism on the offensive side of the football, Dallas. Let's look at the depth chart here. And what really intrigues me about this group Those watching on YouTube, you will notice we've got three players that are in gray scale, Marquise Goodwin, Geno Smith, and Austin Blythe. That's because they are not going to be under contract after this league year ends without a new deal. They are scheduled to be unrestricted free agents. But everybody else on here has lit up pictures because they're under contract for at least next season. And really what excites me about this offense, Dallas, is – the number of players that the Seahawks have under contract for multiple seasons, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Ken Walker, the third, Abraham Lucas and Charles cross all are under contract through at least 2026. That is a large majority of your foundation that is going to be on this roster for the next couple of years. And they're obviously going to have some difficult decisions awaiting with Tyler Lockett, with him aging as he gets deeper into this contract. DK is going to be pushing for more money on his next big deal. Those are things they will worry about down the road, but they have a very large portion of this already good offense signed for the next several years. And you get tackles on rookie contracts that affords you so much flexibility, especially when you're trying to figure out what the future looks like at quarterback. As you said, the tackles being on rookie deals. In fact, a lot of marquee positions on this team being on rookie deals, as you said, Kenneth Walker as well is really important in terms of the flexibility it provides at other positions. Now you have the money to be able to re-sign Gino. And I think that's the first thing. That's a must. Gino absolutely showed this year that he is the quarterback. He's the guy. Pete Carroll put the trust in him and he showed he can be that guy. My thing is, I think he needs another weapon. I think wide receiver three is something that the team could really look at to upgrade. They need another weapon. There's a couple guys in the draft and stuff that they could look at. We'll talk about that a little later, but I think that's the position where you upgrade at that. I think this offense can get a lot more explosive and really contend to be one of the top offenses in the NFL. Yeah, that's one of the things that's missing here when we look at the depth chart because Marquise Goodwin is going to be a free agent. And and I think that creates a question in itself because I thought Marquise Goodwin was really solid this year when he was healthy. That's the big caveat. He's had some injury issues. He's getting to be a little older player now at 31, heading towards 32. He still can fly. He still runs with 4-3 speed. We saw that in the field, and he finished in the top five in receiving touchdowns for the team. He was sixth in reception. So that was better than they've had from their number three receiver for a couple of years running. This has been a persistent problem for them. But for me, and I brought it up a lot this offseason, again, looking at this depth chart, There's a big gray blob in the middle of this offensive line, and that is Austin Blythe heading towards free agency. And I will admit this, Austin Blythe, to me, I know that Ethan Posick going to Cleveland had a really solid season for the Browns. At least that's what Pro Football Focus says. They gave him a really good grade this season. 
But I felt like from a communication standpoint that Austin Blythe was a major upgrade to the center position for the Seahawks. I don't think that Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross have the successful rookie seasons that they had, quite as successful, if they don't have that stable force that knows the system, that understands the game, has played for Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson, and is such a good communication presence like Blythe is. And he was pretty solid in pass protection. He only gave up three sacks middle-of-the-road grade from PFF in the pass protection department. The issue is you know that Pete Carroll wants to run the football, and that is far from a strength for Austin Blythe under 300 pounds. He gets bullied around. He has a very hard time winning in the line of scrimmage, and I didn't think he did great in zone blocking necessarily this year either. He just was overwhelmed in the run game. And so that still is 1A, 1B, 1C, whatever you want to call it, in terms of priorities for this offseason. And We'll talk some more options when we get into the third segment about what they might do there. But that is the one glaring hole that I see in terms of the upcoming free agents. I think Geno Smith, they're going to prioritize bringing him back. It's all about the cost. And I agree with you that he should be brought back as long as it doesn't bloat to like a $40 million a year contract. Then you have to make some tough decisions. But center to me, that is the position among the pending free agents that is most pressing. And I know there's another spot in the offensive line that you and I would both agree, even though the player is under contract, that there's got to be some very difficult discussions coming up here in the next few weeks. That right guard spot. Although Gabe Jackson throughout, throughout his time in the NFL has been a great guard. Father Timer has crept up with him. His knees kind of having issues. That's why him and Phil Haynes were often rotating snaps this past season. I think that's a really big thing with Seattle. They need to upgrade at that guard spot, as you said, as you alluded to. I mean, that guard spot, as you said, Pete Carroll wants to run the football. You need a powerful presence in there to be able to push the line of scrimmage. That was what Seattle was lacking. And also with a lot of the three techs in the NFC West, you're dealing with a lot of pass rush on the interior. You need good pass protectors as well in there. And that was just something, a struggle. Geno needs to be able to step up into the pocket. That's what he wants to do. And the presence in the interior line could really benefit this entire group. Yeah, it feels like those two spots are the big holes that need to be filled. And you would love to add another receiver. And you and I will have more opportunities to dissect that as we get deeper into the show. But they've had their issues with that number three receiver. It's been so long since they have had a top 10 caliber center. Justin Britt maybe had one season where you could put him in that category, and he was a decent starter, but he was never an elite or even a great center in the National Football League. And then the guys they've had rotating in there ever since, whether it's been Posick or Kyle Fuller this past year, Austin Blythe, to me, those are replacement level starters at best. Kyle Fuller was obviously a replacement, uh, a versatile replacement that could start a number of spots, but I don't think was a talented enough player to be a starter in the National Football League. And Ethan Posick had so many injury issues that I think that prevented him from developing the way the Seahawks hoped he would. And even when he was healthy, at his best, he was a average center. So they have been looking to upgrade that position for a long time. And the right guard, Gabe Jackson was supposed to be the missing piece two years ago when they traded for him with the Raiders. And it was supposed to be something that was supposed to appease Russell Wilson, who was already stirring the pot about potentially wanting to get moved. They were trying to upgrade the pass protection. He was really good for most of his career with the Raiders, but that knee is certainly a concern. He had one of the worst pass protection efficiencies in the NFL at right guard this year. So 
With his contract, the Seahawks are going to have to figure things out there. Phil Haynes is going to be a free agent too. So that might determine what Seattle does with Gabe Jackson. Because if they're not bringing back Phil Haynes, they might decide, you know what, we think we can squeeze another decent year out of Gabe Jackson. So who knows what the Seahawks are thinking on that front. But they also don't have as much financial flexibility as a lot of people think that they do. And so that is one spot that you could open up some significant salary cap room going into this offseason that could help sign Gino and whatever else that they want to do to try to improve this roster. But I think really the big main point here, the big picture with this offense, is that while there are some holes, there are areas to improve upon for the ninth-ranked scoring offense. They've got some clear deficiencies in this group. You've also got two of the best receivers in football locked up for the next several years. you got one of the best young running backs in football locked up on his rookie deal for the next three years. You've got two bookends at the tackle positions that look like they maybe have Pro Bowl talent, and you're going to have them on rookie deals for the next three years. And Damian Lewis still has one more year left on his rookie deal, and I thought he was solid this year. So you have most of the pieces in place already on offense. I don't think we'll be able to say the same thing when we talk next Thursday about the defensive side of the football, but there's a lot of reasons for optimism here when you just look at the continuity of this group with their talented players, the tight end spots as well. You're going to get at least one more season with Fant. Disley's got two years left in his deal. you got one more year on Parkinson's contract. So they are going to have most of their skill players for at least, at least the next one or two years, and they've got building blocks on rookie deals on their offensive line. There's a lot to like on this group, and I think this is one of the big reasons they're so optimistic about the future. The young players giving them quality snaps on their rookie years had to be one of the best things to watch as a Seattle fan, as a Seattle coach. It was one of the best things to see. If your rookies are playing quality snaps and giving you quality output, it makes your team a lot better because now you can spend more on other positions where you normally wouldn't, per se, like you said, upgrading the interior of the line. Normally, you wouldn't spend as much doing that. But because maybe you have rookie deals at other marquee positions, you can now spend a little more to upgrade at those spots, spend a little more quality draft picks at those spots that you normally wouldn't because you already have a lot of other spots locked up. And this is the flexibility that the Seahawks wanted, and this is all they could ask for. Again, great job by John Snyder in the offseason making making the right draft choices and giving the Seahawks the amount of flexibilities they can improve in 2023. Yeah. There's not very much to frown upon with this offensive side of the football and having two tackles at premium positions on rookie deals, especially one of them being a third rounder that is going to be very affordable for the next three years. Again, the amount of flexibility that that gives you as a general manager in the front office, being able to add other positions, because when those guys get paid a few years down the road, that'll be a different conversation because you're going to have to make some cuts elsewhere because you can't pay everybody. But right now, it does give you that flexibility in this three-year window. Let's go get some marquee players at other positions. We have some money. We can re-sign Geno Smith to a contract that he has earned if we want to. Uh, we can go another direction at quarterback if we want to. But it does open up a lot of avenues for them. And that's a perfect segue into our next segment because we're going to be taking a look at which players on offense that we think are going to be back next season, which players are on the bubble, and which ones are going to have the door hitting them on their way out before the 2023 season. And we're going to be taking a look at a few things that we think the Seahawks might do to try to improve on the offensive side of the football. 
We'll get to that next on our roster reset here in our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's NFL Championship Weekend. I've got Joe Burrow staying cool with three touchdown passes against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. With Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put your entries to the test. Pick two to six players and they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, or even disc golf. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy with safe and fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in 30 states and Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play. Daily Fantasy Sports first-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined today by my co-host Dallas Cooper. Thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether this is your first time checking out Locked On Seahawks or you're a regular listener, we greatly appreciate and make the Locked On you the local insights you love to the national spotlight with daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. Locked on NFL, it's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Dallas, last segment, we just looked at the offensive depth chart, and there's a lot of reasons for optimism on the offensive side of the football, namely the star power that is under contract for several seasons and the young players that are on rookie deals for several seasons, the amount of flexibility that gives the Seahawks. And so what we're going to do now, a little bit of a roster reset going into the offseason, making some predictions on who we think is going to be back and who we think is going to be on the outside looking in, either playing for somebody else or on the free agent market on the offensive side of the football. And I'm going to kick things off here a little bit. Uh, Again, I think this is an offense where you have most of the pieces already in place. And so keeping that in mind, I think there's a lot of locks when you look at the Seattle Seahawks roster. For me, Dallas, I think the first big one, Geno Smith needs to be under center when the Seahawks open the season, whoever they're playing against whatever it takes to get him signed. I guess I would agree with John Schneider on this. If somehow there ends up being a bidding war, he gets the free agent market and some other teams are throwing 35 to 40 million per year at him. At that point, you have to start considering other options, especially with the number five pick in this year's draft. But this team loves him too much. His teammates love him too much. This is a perfect system for him. He's playing with great confidence. He was a pro bowler last year. I don't see the Seahawks letting him go. And obviously you've got Metcalf and Walker and Lucas and uh, Noah Fant, Kobe Parkinson, Will Disley. All those guys are under contract. Cross, Damian Lewis, Jake Curhan's going to be a nice swing guy to still have around. Eskridge, I think, is still going to be back. They're not going to be giving up on him just yet. And you've got Stone Forsyth and DJ Dallas still under contract this next season. Those players all feel like locks to me going into this season And so right there, you've got 85% of your offense is already accounted for, and we know the issues they get on defense. And so that's going to allow them to use a lot more of their available assets on that side of the football while making the few necessary moves that they need to do on offense. But a lot of these guys already either under contract or they should be locks to resign. I think a lot of the guys we saw star this year, they're going to be starting for the Seahawks again in 2023. The Seahawks? As you said, 85% of their offense is locked. It's a great thing to see. You can use a lot of picks at other positions. And Geno Smith, 
needs to be back. As you said, the teammates love him. The chemistry is there. And then the only thing I would have to disagree on with that one is I'm not so sure if DJ Dallas is for sure a lock. I could see a potential John Schneider maybe using a mid-round draft pick on a running back and keeping, I think, Travis Homer. I think Travis Homer has a higher chance of making the team strictly because of his third down pass protection and the specific skill set he brings. And then I have to say, I I really do think that Penny Hart is on his way out. I think with Eskridge coming back, I really do think John Snyder is going to use a top two round draft pick on a third wide receiver this year. I think there's going to be a really big training camp battle to see who's going to make the team. And unfortunately, I think Penny Hart's going to be on his way out. I think he's going to be the odd man out. You're going to have potentially someone like Jordan Addison. Even the the TCU wide receiver potentially could be here. Jackson Smith and the Jigba. There's a lot of people that I think John Schneider really could look at to add premium talent to the wide receiver position and further boost their explosiveness. I think that's one of the big question marks, and you just pointed it out here because Marquise Goodwin's a free agent. I have him on the bubble because we know how much Pete Carroll loves Marquise Goodwin. He loved him back in the day when he was coming out of college. He loved playing against him when he was on the 49ers. He's always he's always valued speed, and Goodwin was very productive this year. But you also have to consider the injury history, the fact that he is getting to be an older player. And he doesn't really offer you the special teams versatility. The other thing to consider here is, and I've been saying this for weeks, I think Dariq Young, of all of Seattle's rookies from this year's class, I think he has the best chance to take a big leap next year. I could see Dariq Young being the number three receiver for the Seattle Seahawks in 2023. And if the Seahawks think there's a chance that's going to happen, maybe that curbs them from drafting a receiver early. We are seeing some of the mock drafts like Quentin Johnson of TCU getting picked at number 20 overall. I mean, if a player like that is there at 20, John Schneider might have a very hard time. Who wouldn't want to see Quentin Johnson and DK Metcalf in the same lineup? And he's also a yak monster. They need somebody that can do that. So it creates some options for you, but at the same time, you don't have to force the issue because you do have Dariq Young. You still believe that D. Eskridge, if he can just stay healthy, that Eskridge can be a difference maker for you. It's going to make it tough for Marquise Goodwin to get a contract coming back. It's going to make it tough for Penny Hart, who's a restricted free agent. At minimum, he is going to be non-tendered, and then they have a chance to bring him back on a cheaper deal if they want to. He is not going to get a tender as a guy that hasn't played much in offense and, quite frankly, was phased out on special teams late this season. They went with Cade Johnson the last couple of games instead of Penny Hart and Laquan Treadwell. So I think that those veterans are going to be on their way out. I think Hart maybe is more of a bubble guy just because he has been valuable on special teams. And I don't know if there's going to be much demand for him in the free agent market. You might be able to re-sign him. There's one name that I actually had missing from my chart here that I want to mention, and that's Phil Haynes. I would squarely have Phil Haynes on my on the bubble here because if you are going to move on from Gabe Jackson, which that is my big out the door here. And I've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. He is one of the few guys that you have on your roster that you can make six plus million dollars in cap space instantly by releasing him. He was one of the worst pass protecting guards in the NFL last season. I'm not seeing the movement in the run game that he had early in his career. I wonder about scheme fit with them running more zone. I think Phil Haynes with his athleticism is a better fit. And so, I'm going to put Phil Haynes on the bubble just because 
we don't know what the Seahawks are going to do at that spot. And I'm not necessarily sure that I would bring him back. I might just restart at the right position because I like some of the draft picks that they may be able to potentially bring in, like an Osiris Torrance from Florida. You could invest one of your second-round picks maybe on him, and he's a guy that could jump in and start for you at right guard on day one. Maybe that's a position they look for a free agent bargain to compete against him. Maybe that ends up being Phil Haynes. But the one thing that I can say is I don't think Gabe Jackson is going to be back next year. Just because the age, the injuries, the lack of performance compared to early in his career, he is a declining player that is getting paid money as if he is still in his prime. That is the kind of guy with one year left in his deal. You cut bait, you open up more than $6 million in cap space, and that allows you to make some of the other moves that you want to make. So that would be the one big name for me that is clearly out the door. I expect that Seahawks are going to make that move here at some point in the next three or four weeks. That's absolutely expected. And another another along the interior of the offensive line, Austin Blythe, I think being on the bubble is a big thing. There's a lot of draft prospects at the center position that are really interesting especially when you're talking about scheme fits there's ricky strom stromberg from arkansas in the later rounds if they will they want to go fifth round sixth round pick with him yet there's also the other center john mitchell schmoltz i'm pretty sure that's his name the center john from michael minnesota. schmitz john michael schmitz john michael schmitz the center from minnesota absolute monster in the run game he's right now projected to be around a a late first, second round pick, but he might actually be even more of a late first now because of the value at that position. The position has gotten devalued, but he's such an elite center and people have witnessed for the last few years, especially Seahawks fans knowing Creed Humphrey was a huge thing in the last couple couple drafts ago, being that he was available and you're seeing the impact he's had with the Chiefs. So potentially an elite rookie center could be a thought for John Snyder to bolster that offensive line and really, really bolster the talent of that group. Hopefully the run game gets a lot better with those young rookies or potential free agent additions. And this draft class in the center position is not as good as it looked like it was going to be because Georgia's center, I believed was going to be in that same category, potentially sneaking into the first early second round and he decided to go back to Georgia and didn't declare for the draft. So that puts even more pressure on the top couple guys that are here. And I think John Michael Schmitz is my favorite coming out of Minnesota, just a mean, nasty center. He fits what the Seahawks would like to have at that center position. And I actually think he's a player that at number 20, and there's some people out there that have scoffed at this idea. Why would we pick a center with one of our first round picks? John Michael Schmitz could be that kind of a player at number 20 that still is good value that could be a Creed Humphrey for this offense and bring them immediate stability and a physical trait upgrade at the center position. So they're going to have a lot of time to figure all this stuff out. But I think the one thing I would anticipate when we look at this roster, I'm expecting that interior offensive line is going to endure some significant shakeups. If they bring back Austin Blythe, I don't think it's going to be guaranteed that he's the starter. They could re-sign him, let Kyle Fuller go, and draft a center and have him compete against that rookie. Maybe it's John Michael Schmitz and comes in, and then you would hope as a high draft pick that he beats out Austin Blythe. And in the right guard position, whether it's Phil Haynes, a rookie, or they decide to bring in a free agent, I would be really surprised if Gabe Jackson is still the guy there. The only reason, as I mentioned earlier, that maybe they would hang on to him is if they're already dead set on not re-signing Phil Haynes. 
and they don't necessarily love this draft class. They want to have an experienced presence there. Maybe they decide it's not worth it to us to save that six plus million in cap. But again, I would be really surprised. I'm expecting there's going to be significant changes at center and right guard. And the one that's going to be the biggest storyline that maybe is under the radar is that third wide receiver position, especially with Tyler Lockett being in his 30s now. He's not getting any younger, still a great player, obviously. But this might be the time. It's better to pick a player a year early in a position than wait too long. Go get another big-time talent wide receiver for Geno Smith, who's hopefully going to be your quarterback next year. If they decide to go elsewhere to the quarterback position, you want to have as much talent for that young quarterback, especially if you draft one, as possible at the receiver position. So we're going to be digging into these storylines more as the offseason unfolds taking more of a micro approach at what Seattle can do at center, what they can do at right guard. But one thing's for certain, I would expect that most of this offense is going to be kept intact. And then they're going to be trying to upgrade a handful of positions where there's either free agents or they have poor performances past season. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Dallas at Dallas C Cooper. Make sure to check out locked on Seahawks and Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on youtube coming up on our blue friday episode it's fan fiction friday going to dig into another big time topic for the off season and hear out from our fans what they think the seahawks should do and much more hope you'll be listening in enjoy the rest of your thursday thanks for listening go hawks